All right, welcome to uh, the Black Movie Podcast, where we celebrate Black culture through its cinema by reviewing and discussing Black-led films from a range of different genres and time periods. I'm Lauren, and I'm joined tonight by... Andre. James. And Ryan. And today we are reviewing the movie Carmen Jones. Carmen Jones is a 1954 American musical film starring Dorothy Dandridge and Harry Belafonte, and it's based on an Oscar Hammerstein musical, which is based on the George's Bizet opera, which is based on an 1845 novella by Henri uh, Malak. I can't actually pronounce it. I should be able to. Um, and it's a story about essentially a quote unquote shameless vixen, Carmen, uh, who is in this case played by the ineffable Dorothy Dandridge, who falls in love with a respectable soldier and he ends up going AWOL with her. Hammerstein changed the setting of the original opera and story from Spain to the Deep South, potentially inspired by Black musicals like Porgy and Bess, and he turned the Spanish characters into Black Americans. So you've got Escamillo, the bullfighter, who becomes Husky Miller, the boxer, played by Joe Adams. Uh, Don Jose, the sort of love interest of the story, is now just Joe, played by Harry Belafonte, uh, who's a, a nice army corporal policing the the factory, the parachute factory where Carmen Jones works. Michaela, the faithful high school sweetheart, uh, is renamed to Chris Cindy Lou um, and played by Olga James. And as I mentioned, Dorothy Dandridge plays Carmen. She gains a surname in this movie and becomes Carmen Jones, but otherwise it's still the same hip swing and floozy that the opera is known for. The director and producer for this film, Otto uh, Priminger, Figured when he wanted to make it that there was no major studio that would actually greenlight and finance an operatic film with an all-black cast. Uh, so he decided that he was going to produce this independently. Although he did actually end up getting backing for the film from Fox Studios at the time, which is pretty insane. The film had a budget of $800,000 and ended up making $9.8 million, Partially because it was actually huge overseas in particular. It also won a number of awards after premiered, including the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, Best, or the Bronze Berlin Bear Award at the 5th Berlin International Film Festival, and the Golden Leopard Award at the Locarno International Film Festival. In addition to that, Dorothy Dandridge was actually nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actress, the first Black actress to be honored in that category, but she lost to Grace Kelly. Um, she was also nominated for the BAFTA for Best Foreign Actress, but lost to Betsy Blair. In the early 90s, I think 92, Carmen Jones was actually selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. We can maybe talk about whether or not we still think that's true through part of this discussion. So I want to sort of start off and hear a little bit from, you know, this was my first time actually watching this film. I love Dorothy Dandridge. I've heard a lot about this movie. I've never actually seen the musical or the opera, but I was really interested in seeing this film for the first time. And I'm curious for all of you, if this is your first time seeing it, and if so, what was your kind of reaction? This is, I think, the oldest movie we've seen in this series so far. And so it does add a sort of a different light to Black cinema, so to speak. So maybe let's start with Ryan. What was your initial reaction? Sure. Uh, my reaction to this was fairly positive. Like you, I had not seen the movie. Uh, I have seen the opera. I don't think I've seen the Broadway play. So I think I've missed a step uh, in the translation to get to Carmen Jones. However, Dorothy Dandridge is man is magnetic. Like she's incredible um, to watch. She like the camera loves her. 
in a way that's like just really hard to describe. And I found myself, other than like my normal issues with uh, movie misogyny, uh, having problems with some of those things. But otherwise, I, I really enjoyed being able to know what the songs were going to be coming because they're basically remixes of the of the songs from the original opera. It's, it's all fairly well done. I, I enjoyed a lot of the story and setting, but overall, I thought the movie was enjoyable. I expected it to be probably a little more cohesive than uh than it ended up being because you know the the plot kind of goes in a in a few different directions uh at times but overall i i thought it was like relatively enjoyable uh andre what did you think yeah i i didn't like it, it it's not because this movie did anything bad i just hate musicals I, they're pretty boring to me like uh for this one i was just like after about 20 minutes or so i was immediately like Okay, I'm going to go on YouTube and watch this video. Okay, I should probably finish up this movie. And it was just that for like 10 or 20 minute periods throughout the movie. We keep on tricking you into watching musicals. Yeah. I don't know how that happens, but we've done it at least twice now. I am not taking the blame for school days. I just want to say that. Nope, that's my fault. I will take the blame for this one. Yeah, I'll take the blame for this yeah. one. Um, um, yeah, it, it didn't do anything bad, though. That's the one thing I will say. It's not... That's just my personal thing with musicals. It's I it, like the movie, like it's well acted. The cinematography is solid and like all the performances are great. Like I'm not trying to diss the movie at all. I just hate musicals. So it was really tough for me. They're always really tough for me to actually get through without having some sort of break in the middle. What about you, James? What'd you think? Hmm. This movie is interesting for me or my take on it is a little bit different. Like, I don't mind musicals. I don't watch them that often, but like, I think they're okay, but I don't hardly ever watch movies made before the seventies. So like, I have no frame of reference for really anything made before the, really even the mid seventies. And so there's a lot of things about this movie that I think are from the time that are just a little bit weird to me. I think that Dorothy Dandridge, just Carmen was great. But I, I think, honestly, the, the most interesting thing about this movie is just how the movie got made and like sort of the history behind the, the production of the movie and like this level of adaptions and the fact that like it got produced at all and, and made as much money as it did in the 50s, which I mean, I don't know what that is in modern money, but that sounds like it will be a lot. I find all of that stuff a lot more interesting than I found the actual movie itself. With that being said, I think the movie itself is like a competently made movie. Like it's very well acted. There's some story cuts that I think are weird. Maybe the opera doesn't have those. Like maybe it's more expanded in the original source material. But overall, I don't think I would watch the movie again. But I can understand why it was like chosen to be preserved, especially based on how, you know, like I said, how it was made and. And sort of the history behind an all-black movie in the 50s, which must have, you know, blown America's mind, uh, given what we know the black experience was like in the 50s. In this case, like, I, I love musicals and I love old films. Like, I spend a lot of my free time watching films from the 30s and 40s and 50s. So, like, the old school musicals was right up my alley. And I actually find this film really hard to watch. Like I'm kind of more on the on Andre's level where I, I didn't really love it. 
I like, like James, I love the fact that it was made and like how it got made. And I think the idea of a black opera, like uh, black opera cinema, uh, cinematic film being made in the 50s to be just kind of insane. But it's actually the opera part that I didn't love here. Like, I feel like it becomes very different when they break into song, which and it just doesn't feel like the movie flows partially because of that. I do agree that like Dorothy Dandridge, like she does shine on screen like she is there and the movie is is putting it puts her in bright colors it centers her um, in a frame all the time like the movie is drawing you towards Dorothy and part of that might be because she was in a relationship with the director and producer um for one thing so it could have been that his eye was drawn towards Dorothy um but either way like she she was a beautiful charismatic person and so seeing her on screen is amazing she's kind of like in some ways for me the black uh Marilyn Monroe in that she's actually really charismatic on screen. And Harry, Harry Belafonte, I think, does a great job, too, at playing Joe. He's also really interesting and charismatic. You've got Pearl Bailey playing, the, you know, Frankie, one of the friends. And I love her. I think she also steals all the scenes that she's in. She was incredible. Which is a really hard thing to do when you've got Dorothy Dandridge, like, playing, you know, on the same screen as you. Like, all the actors were really great at what they were doing. I do think that the film should have missed a mark. And for me, I think it's mostly around the music that it missed it. That, that makes sense. I, I think that some of the pieces went on very long, partly because I think it just, you know, being parallel with, with the musical. There's other parts where, like, you know, the characters have songs and the characters just aren't really that integral to how the film version works out. I don't care about Cindy Lou walking up the stairs singing. Um, I was just like, hey, you know, can we just get to the stuff I actually want to hear about. And and yeah, when I think about the best parts of the movie to me, none of them are, well, almost none of them are the songs. I, I do particularly have a fondness of like Carmen dancing on the parachute sewing tables bit in the, in the beginning, because that really sets the the tone for what to expect from her in a really effective manner. That's scrap too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing, I, I, one of the things I wanted to um, ask about that, like, I loved about this movie and my wife also loved about this movie was the fashion. The fashion of this movie seemed really cool. Dorothy's clothes were obviously pretty, pretty incredible to match her 1950s hot girl image. But also, like Lauren mentioned, Frankie, her friend and uh, Myrtle, um, played by Dan Carroll. Their clothes just kept escalating in fabulousness as they got more and more access to Husky Miller's money. And it was pretty fantastic to watch. It, it it very much, I think, really carried a lot of a lot of the scenes was how colorful they were and how much the the, the clothes and costuming really lent a sense of time and place to the movie. Like the parts of the Deep South and then when they go to Chicago, uh, all of that struck me as like, you know, like as pretty enjoyable. And so I, I think some of my enjoyment of the film was really just enjoyment of watching these really awesome actors in really cool clothes. This movie, I think, you know, hearing you talk about that, the clothes and the costuming is really cool. And like a lot of the framing and stuff is really cool. And I think the songs were fine, but not like integral to the story. I think the story, it, the, the story itself, like minus all the songs, I think is really cool. It's just weird that for me, like all these individual pieces seem to work. But they don't really seem to work together that well, because like the more and more I think about the movie, I'm like, well, I did like that part, 
But for some reason, I came away not like loving the movie. And, and I'm not completely sure why. I feel like a lot depends on like what happens when like I think the beginning worked really well and the middle kind of falls apart. And then the end just I'm not sure that the end is connected to the first two movies, basically, in a lot of ways. Like the beginning where you first meet Carmen, like I agree, her, let's say her song, you know, which is Carmen's theme, basically, from the opera, like her singing it as she's dancing on the table in essentially the mess hall at this parachute factory with all the soldiers hanging around is a really great introduction to her as a character. And then you've got her flirting with Joe and trying to get his attention. And he's sitting there with his fiance, you know, and he's not trying to pay her any attention at all. And I love the fact that he just continuously brushes her off. And when she eventually gets into, she gets arrested essentially for fighting with another woman at the parachute factory. And he's assigned to take her to the next town, essentially to get her booked into jail and their fighting back and forth is just oddly adorable to watch. She's so annoyingly perfect, like, and by that I mean perfectly annoying of him all the time in a way that felt really realistic. I'm like, you were watching a bunch of 17-year-olds just kind of annoy each other uh, in the car together. But that eventually goes, like, that, that chemistry they have together eventually kind of, for me, dissipates throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, the, the Chicago half of the film doesn't have any of that stuff you just mentioned, which is pretty interesting to, to think about. It's like, and, and Ryan, I want to ask you, since you, I think, are the only one who knows the, the source material, were there parts of this story that were cut out? Because I feel like Joe has a transformation that, to me, doesn't make sense. Like, he goes from, you know, playfully not really wanting to mess with her to seemingly falling like head over heels for her to what we see in the back half of the movie. And it just, I feel like there's some connective tissue that maybe wasn't there, but I don't know if that's true. Um, I, it's been too long since I've seen the musical to know for sure, but I don't think that there was too much cut. Honestly, I think that, I think that Joe's transition and like, we'll talk about it more when we get to the spoiler point. I think that his, his decisions make, well, not all of his decisions make sense, but his uh his change in tone i think makes sense partly because when we meet joe you know joe's got a fiance who he loves very much he he's scheduled to get into flight school so that he can become a pilot which is a really big deal and and carmen comes into his life through an accident of fate with her you know him needing to well actually it's not an accident with him needing to drive her to the prison in the next town uh, we find out later in the movie that like he was set up by his superior officer who wanted his fiance, which is extra shady, dirty Mackin on a large scale. Joe goes from having all these things together and from being somebody who's clearly like extremely morally upright to cheating on his fiance with Carmen. She escapes and he ends up in jail, you know, for like you know in military in like in the brig, I guess, in, in jail for the military for his role in letting her go. He misses out on going to flight school. And so he just like keeps losing things as things go on. And by the time you get to Chicago, you know, he's AWOL. He doesn't have the ability to go out. He's literally hiding from apparently the most intrepid military police ever because they're just searching random apartment buildings in Chicago for this lone tall black man. But you know, like he, he, he went from having it all together to being on the run in a really short period of time. And Dorothy Dandridge is probably one of the only people you can look at and go, why did I throw all this away? 
that part to me works. I, I'm not exactly happy with how it ends up, but I can't understand how how he gets there. Also, all of us have in our Zoom backgrounds uh, pictures from the movie, and as I'm looking at them, a I I see like how expressive Dorothy is in all of them, but b I can't unsee how crooked Harry Belafonte's hairline is, <laughs> and it's really bothering me. <laughs> I've never seen anybody with a crooked widow's peak. It is the ultimate widow's peak. That thing is like a 90 degree angle, but like <laughs> to the side of his head. It's incredible. It could be that his hairline was the thing that was slowly driving him mad. And karma just came through at the right place in the right time. <laughs> to get us back on track. Uh, I can sort of I can see after you sort of expounded on Joe's loss. That makes the transformation make a little bit more sense. I wish there was some, not that I necessarily needed to be hit over the head with that message, but in a musical, you would have, normally, you would have that character have a song expressing those opinions. And and maybe I won't say that, like, this musical needs more songs, because I didn't necessarily love the way they were, like, introduced, but I'm imagining other musicals where if someone were, were to have a curse my fate sort of moment, we would have heard something more about that, which while I was watching the movie, what I really felt was, oh, like Joe's kind of a dick. And and it's like, OK, may, like I didn't get the impression that like, oh, I'm watching this man like take a fall, like have this traumatic sort of journey. I more got the feeling of, oh, maybe he was a dick before, too. And I just didn't notice it. It almost feels like this movie is like a musical version of a noir in a way. Because essentially you have the otherwise straight, narrow dude who has a femme fatale that he falls in with, leads to him losing everything, and his own faults lead to his downfall, right? Like the grand Shakespearean tragedy type thing. And in this case, you've got, on one hand, you've got Joe, who is, I agree, likely was a dick to begin with, and did absolutely did not deserve Cindy Lou by any means. Like, I think the biggest lesson from this movie is that Cindy Lou was done dirty and she can do better. And I hope she went off and did better after the film somewhere. Uh, besides that, so Joe basically it fits the trope of like a good man in theory who is on the up and up and then falls in with a unsavory woman who destroys him and he loses everything and kind of like spirals into shame spiral. And then you've got Dorothy, who basically plays like the American equivalent of a gypsy, right? She's basically a witch. She entices people to her. She's very whimsical and she is capricious and she quickly falls in love with Joe for no real reason, either besides the fact that like he's handsome, but she oddly falls for Joe and waits for him when he's in jail for no real reason. They have like one night together uh, at her grandmother's house while her grandmother's, I don't know where. So that was, <laughs> that was weird to me too. <laughs> But sure. Also, also, her grandmother was like a witch. And her grandmother's a witch, leading to the whole she's a witch thing, basically, right? Yeah. And like, but she's capricious. She falls in love with Joe quickly, but then it gets bored with him and moves on. And so, like, her own capriciousness is part of what leads to her downfall overall, too, right? Like, you've got these really pretty standard tropes playing out here. But I do agree with James that, like, there needed to be more evidence of that happening in some ways. I was trying to think if there's a song that does go through that. And this is one of the failings of the film, I think, is that so many of the songs that aren't by Dorothy are forgettable, are incredibly forgettable. 
And so, like, I know that Joe had a song while he was working in the hard labor camp. And Harry Belafonte has a lovely voice. And a really incredible falsetto. That was not Harry Belafonte. Yeah, they didn't sing their own voices. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, that was, there was a bit of a syncing issue at times. Ah, see, like, I wasn't paying enough attention to catch the lip sync parts. Like there, there, there might have been something in that song, but I couldn't tell you because it just like it went in one ear and out the other. A thing that I think was surprising for me was that I came away from it thinking that, yes, Joe was a dick. He was a dick before. Um, he just got worse and worse as the film went on. But Carmen was up front with exactly who she was and exactly what she what she stood for. And she never really wavered in that. I mean, like I think the one of the lines in the first song she sings beginning of the movie is that like if you play hard to get you know i'm for you but like when people are like hang all hang all over or like or too into her she's through and it's that's pretty much how their relationship kind of panned out i actually was like really happy with her that like the second joe starts really getting on some bullshit like he grabs her arm and tells her like tries to tell her what she can and can't do she's instantly done there's no like big you know long drawn out i can make it work i can change him no she was just like wash my hands of this man i'm done i'm gonna put on my good dress i'm gonna go out and you'll see me when you see me yeah it was a quintessential uh tragedy in that regard because she didn't change but like she was given a bunch of opportunities to and to change for both the better and the worse throughout the movie Maybe early on when you look at, oh, she's in love with Joe, maybe she changes for the better. She doesn't. And then later in the movie, as uh, you know, Ryan, like Joe's not great and she could change for the worse and she doesn't. I can always hypothesize things that I would like to change about any given movie. But one thing I think I would maybe like a little bit more, and maybe this is where I am like as a man in 2021 I kind of just want to see a movie of Carmen just going around like Black Widow and dudes. Just like, okay. Like, <laughs> like I just want to like be in her adventures. Just be like, all right, I'm going to seduce this dude. All right, I'm done with this dude. Now I'm going to move on and like hit this other town. Check out all these other dudes and like do my thing. The more I think about like Joe and husky miller and all these other guys that she like interacts with it's like i don't actually care anything about any of them i just want carmen to like go do her thing that on its own could be an interesting story or interesting movie as long as she can take uh frankie and mert with her then i'm on board yeah i was gonna say i want to see her and her girlfriends just wander around and do things can we also very quickly talk about husky miller because i have never cared less about a person (laughs) in my entire movie watching life like, I just, even from his very first song, and I know, like, the Toreador song is what the, you know, the opera equivalent is, is, is a big deal. The translation of that into the quote-unquote Black version of this movie is one of the more egregious cultural translations in this movie. We could talk about that a little bit more in a bit. But he himself is a character, like, I can see why Carmen is completely uninterested to begin with, because I could care less, basically, uh, about this man. And his, I don't know, prize fighting boxing career and his weird sink offense that are basically strong arming women to get on the train to Chicago with him. It's just, he's just a weird dude who has nothing really going for him except the fact that he's good in a fight. But that is literally all the movie gives him, that he's good in a fight. 
One rich. That's about it. Well, I mean, he's rich because he's getting a fight. I feel like at that point in the movie when he had his first song, that's when I went to ESPN and turned my attention to the NFL draft. And I just had the movie on in the background because I do not remember his song at all. I just remember like where Carmen was, where all of her friends were. And then he was singing. And yeah, I was definitely checking out possible picks for the Detroit Lions. It doesn't matter who they pick, Andre. I know. (laughs) I know. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure that you actually made your experience better by doing that. (laughs) It's the one thing I get to look forward to every year. Just let me have this. It's not like I'm gonna watch. It's not like I'm gonna watch the Lions in the Super Bowl anytime soon. The, the draft is the Lions fans Super Bowl. Yes, it's infinite possibilities. Anything can happen. Cleveland used to be there with us. Now they had to go and make the playoffs and win a game. It's depressing. Going back to Husky Miller's song, I don't remember anything really about the song either. Like I remember it happened. The the thing that I remember about that scene is that car he's driving. I'm like, give me that car. I don't care anything about like his outfit or like the boxing career. I want one of those sweet, sweet convertibles from the 50s with the swoopy lines and the, with a giant hood that couldn't fit any people in the car. That's what I want to drive. Wait, are we talking about a straight uh, a straight restore? Or are we talking about one of the modern like conversion restores that people are doing now if i had my druthers it would be a restore but an ev conversion because like that's my life i'm i'm batteries for life but either either way really doesn't matter to me i just think it's like the coolest looking cars that they ever made and i just hate that we somehow decided that that wasn't what we wanted to do with cars anymore i have a car to show you afterwards I feel like this conversation started off well and then became Husky Miller like halfway through. <laughs> and now we're back at the <laughs> it, it, you, know, you know what? It's it, it's actually really accurate in, into like how uncharismatic Husky Miller is that we can't even stay on topic talking about him like on the podcast after the movie. Like it's incredible. Like like he's like negative charisma. He went straight to his car. Yeah. We showed uh, per- more personality in the last five minutes than he did during the whole two hours of that movie. Right? <laughs> his whole his whole character is him either preparing for a fight with his fancy trainer in theory, and him essentially asking his like sync offense to go get Carmen for him. Like that's literally the entirety of his character. And he sings one terrible song. Dude was also kind of done a little bit dirty by this movie because he has literally nothing else to offer you. There's nothing but money, basically. And the only one who really gets to enjoy his money God bless them, or Frankie and Bert. Yep. But they do really heavily enjoy his money, so yeah. good for them. They do really come out of this movie on top. They really do. They also have one of the better songs. Uh, was it the Bang Out the Rhythm on the Drum? Yeah, that was a great yeah, song. Yeah, that was actually pretty good. So yeah, yeah. so like I, I think that there's a bunch of the themes of the movie. Some of them fall flat. There's things that are clearly like, I'm supposed to feel good about Joe, you know, singing to Cindy Lou that like, you're just like my mom, which is like just real messed up. I have a specific note about that, about how I would not be okay with some guy telling me he loved me because I reminded him of his mother. That would definitely cool me way down on a relationship. Yeah, we, we were talking about that, too. It was like, this is not doing the thing you think it might be doing. Right. Like, I, I don't think you're winning yourself any points, Joe. 
and like you should probably just go directly to a therapist do not pass go do not collect two hundred dollars because that's that's something you should talk out with somebody weird i was gonna switch tax a little bit so if you wanted to follow up on that thread nope feel free to jump in there nope i say go for it say, one of the things like thinking about the music one of the so i want to talk a bit about like sort of like the cultural exchange here right we took what was originally a a french opera <laughs> written about spanish people as a way to sort of like showcase, you know, the hot-blooded Spaniards doing Spanishy things basically at the time. And we've turned that into basically a white guy who's doing the same thing, writing a movie where you've got these hot-blooded African-Americans doing African-American-y things. And some of it works well, right? Like some of this movie is really interesting. You've got really great performers. They actually made the effort to get the movie reviewed by um, the NAACP before releasing it to make sure that it wasn't going to be offensive. And then NAACP gave them an, you know, an, a thumbs up for it. But there are a lot of things in this film that I actually found slightly offensive, and most of it was in the translations of the songs. And the, the fact that all of these beautiful characters, like these beautiful people, speak perfect English until, for some reason, what's, you know, no reason whatsoever, they start dropping this and dats and, like, leading into this sort of like Negro Creole almost half the time in their music. And it didn't make sense as to why that needed to be that way. So I'm curious as to thoughts about that. Cause for me, a little bit of the, part of the reason I didn't love the music as much was also because it was kind of like, this was a lot like it's leaning into stereotypes of black people, just sort of for fun, like trafficking in black stereotypes for the entertainment factor. And I don't love that. I'd like to recuse myself for the, from this conversation because during most of the musical numbers, I was either looking up Detroit Lions draft picks, uh, looking at League of Legends, different League of Legends leagues around the world and when games will be played, and uh, looking up funny YouTube videos. So I'm, I'm out of here. I'm out of this. As a reminder, just in case anyone forgot, uh, Andre does not like musicals. there you know i i agree so much of the direction feels really heavy-handed and i think that the songs were were that to the nth degree the actors in this movie were fantastic and i think did a lot to resist some of the some of the things that they were being pulled to do and but when you're when you're dubbing them over with like (laughs) um uh, you know, with this, uh, like Lauren said, this weird black Creole that doesn't actually match any particular location or um, location or accent. It's really weird to be dropping back and forth, especially as you move between the, the South and Chicago. I, I think that there's there's a lot there that, that, that could have been done a lot better. And this, the songs could have been written with a little more a little more sensitivity and realisticness to how the characters are actually playing them in the, in the movie. It feels almost like they decided to do these really tropey accents and versions of the songs before they filmed the actual acting and performances. I, I could see that, but I also think it, the choreography in some cases leans a little bit into that too. Like it becomes tropey and exaggerated in a way that I feel like the rest of the acting isn't. And maybe that's like just the musicalness of it all. I didn't notice that so much in the song lyrics, but that's mostly because I wasn't honestly paying that much attention to the song lyrics. Like the way I consume music is not really 
the words being spoken more you know sort of the experience of listening to the music so i didn't pay a lot of attention but after lauren pointed it out i thought back on one of the few songs i can actually remember some of the words for and it it is a little bit different it didn't pull me out of the movie obviously because i didn't notice but but it is strange that they chose to do that and i don't know exactly why they chose to do that because it wasn't needed or you know you could go the other way and maybe have the whole movie be that way and have it be because you're in the south and you're wanting to represent this specific type of person that maybe that's the characters you portray and then you see sort of a stark difference when you go from wherever the place was in the south louisiana maybe to chicago Um, but that wasn't really the way it it panned out so i feel like we're at the point where we can also start talking about of how the movie wraps up. So I'm going to call out, this is the spoiler line, which is a little weird to do spoilers for a movie this old, but just in case you haven't read the book or seen the opera or seen the musical or seen this movie, you've been warned that anything past this is a spoiler. So keep that in mind. Um, If you'd like to drop off now and go watch the film, you can find it on Amazon Prime. Um, And if you want to keep going, then please, by all means, uh, continue listening to us. It's definitely weird to have a spoiler break for a movie that's older than my mom. It's to be like, do we need to have this? But sure, maybe yeah. like us, someone may have never seen it. Might as well keep it up. It's the thing is, it's, I don't feel like the spoilers that come out at this point are that weird, right? Like you kind of see where the movie is going, even if you didn't know what the the opera or the musical was about in a lot of ways, because mm-hmm. it's kind of like a pretty old story, right? He continues to get, he being Joe, continues to get more and more obsessed with Carmen. And he's also restricted to being in the apartment because apparently military police are out looking for him because we have nothing better to do at this point than, again, look for this lone black man in Chicago. Good luck with that. As we know, I don't think he had killed anyone at this stage. He just punched his commanding officer, right? Yeah. He's going to get, what, 10 years or something for it was what he was convinced Four. Four years. Not even that bad. Yeah, it's like, would you you really chase a dude all the way to Chicago, who admittedly you didn't know was going to Chicago, I don't think, over punching a dude? Mm, I don't know. Off-duty, off-base. Maybe that's part of why he gets a little crazy at this point, because he's convinced that they're out to get him and he can't go anywhere. He's stuck in this apartment, and we know that when Carmen's stuck in one place, she gets antsy. She needs to be out and free, so she starts going out and doing things, and he gets even more jealous of her doing that, and so... He, you know, lashes out at her and she essentially like says, forget you and leaves and goes off on her merry way because she's Carmen and she's badass and she can do those sorts of things. And she ends up taking up with the most boring man in the movie, Husky Miller, because he's got money and it's exciting when he's winning fights and things like that. And then Joe basically goes to confront her at this fight. She refuses to, you know, go back with him. He decides that if he can't have her, no one can, and he ends up strangling her um, after the fight in this weird back room. That, to me, felt like one of the most anticlimactic endings mm-hmm. for this film possible. Like, I would have preferred almost any other ending, and I recognize the ending is part of how the story is supposed to go, but I think at least in the original, she gets stabbed to death. I would have preferred that, even, to the slow, quick strangle that you hardly even see. Um, with no good build up to it. Yeah. And then like the immediate, it, it's one of those things that's a little bit weird where like, and this happens a couple times in the movie where there's an action and an immediate consequence. 
So like, there's no build up to like, what's going to happen? Like, is he going to get away? It's like, no, because in like 30 seconds, they're going to find him. And then like, now he's gone away from jail for life. And it's like, whoa, okay. Like, I don't know exactly what you could do, but it just feels like if that was the way they were going to end the movie, it didn't need to happen that way. And like, they were there so fast that I was like, why didn't they stop him? Because they were clearly in the small room watching him struggle. This were just like, let's see how it plays out. We didn't, we don't know if it's attempted murder or actual murder yet. So, like, let's just wait and see. It, it was just really horrible. Again, like, even knowing it was coming, I hated the ending. And I, I think that part of it is because, A, Carmen is wearing a fantastic white dress, you know, in this. So, like, part of me expected her to get stabbed because she was wearing white. This is filmed in Cinemascope, so it was, like, gorgeous color, everything. I was like, okay, that's what, what's going to happen. And instead, no, we get the lazy strangle. That's a that's a really weird phrase. Uh, movie podcast had me saying things like a really lazy strangling i don't think it's ever come out of my mouth but i think that there's plenty to be able to like critique about how like her ending up with with husky but in some ways like it didn't feel like she was committed to husky the way that she had committed to joe i mean like when she first leaves the apartment she goes and pawns something to be able to buy groceries for them and that very much does not seem like a thing that pre-Joe Carmen would have done. Well, other than the fact that like she could just walk up to men and flash a smile and get free groceries, which was proven earlier in the movie. She, I feel like she did the best Carmen could do to like make that relationship work. But Joe's paranoia just went way, way too far, way, way too fast. Yeah. I feel like if this movie had been made, let's say now, Said that whole ending exchange between them would have been more fleshed out and it would have been used as an example of violence in relationships, violence against Black women specifically, some sort of systematic uh, issue, cultural issue in some ways. And here it doesn't have any of that. So there's no teeth to it, no lessons are learned. And maybe that's like the sad, tragic fact of the whole thing is that there are no lessons learned. There's nothing particularly amped up about it. Like he kills her. He tells her he's going to do it. This is the other thing. He's just he keeps saying it very calmly and then he murders her. And that's part of what's weird. It's like he loses personality in that moment, too. But then she's pretty quickly killed because it doesn't take very long in the movie either. It's just like two seconds. He's got his hands around her neck and then she's dead. And the janitor apparently watches the whole thing and leads the cops in and like they take him away. And it means literally nothing. We don't talk about like the cycle that's led to this otherwise promising black young man becoming this murderer um, when he was previously out of his way to being a hero or any of those things. It just becomes what it is. I think that's one of the challenges. I I read that. So James Baldwin wrote about this movie in one of his essays and he really didn't love the film because he didn't like the fact that it wasn't connected to sort of like any statements about the condition of Black Americans at this time. And the fact that, you know, all the main characters have like light skin complexions and a lot of other issues. But like, I can kind of see what he's saying in that sense, because if you're going to make a statement like that scene where Carmen gets murdered for being who she is and Joe essentially becomes just another Black man in jail after all this, that could have been an interesting statement and nothing was made of that mm -hmm. at all. It just becomes the most boring part of the film aside from Husky Miller. I have to interject here because I just remembered that something existed and I can't believe I forgot this till now. We were talking about the, you know, if you haven't seen this movie, you know, maybe you saw the musical, maybe you saw the stage play. 
but you also may have seen another adaptation of it. And the adaptation that I forgot about till now is completely unforgivable is Carmen, a hip hopera. Yes. And I'm going to repeat that Carmen, a hip hopera starring Beyonce as Carmen. I forgot this existed. Did too until just now. I saw it as a kid. Mackay Pfeiffer as not Joe, but they, they called him Hill because Carmen the Hip Hopera takes place in modern day. And I remember it being one of the worst movies that I had seen in a very long time. Yeah, it used to run on BET all the time. I I had saw it as a kid because I think I was forced to see it at school for some reason. It was like an after school care type of a deal, latchkey type of deal. And that was the movie that was on for some reason. I think that's where my hatred of uh, musicals kind of started. It's interesting that we're now full circle on Andre's like death of musicals. It starts with Carmen hip opera, ends with Carmen. I had also kind of forgotten about the hip opera. I think I just put it out of my mind on purpose. Kind of similar maybe to Andre where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to forget this was a thing. This is fine. Uh, you know, here we are. I just don't want to, I don't think we need to, to drag Queen Bee into this. Yeah. Mos Def was actually decent in that movie because he's, he always bats. Decent in everything. Yeah. He, he, he bats above his, yeah. uh, he fights above his weight class in pretty much every movie or thing he does. He's got, he's got a high floor for performances. Okay. So sorry. I had to get that out because I looked at the, the cover art for this and felt like I was losing my mind because it's. It's something else <laughs> to go back to the original. We talked about the themes and about like how Baldwin felt like it wasn't connected to actual cares or concerns about black America. Do you think that like all the glimpses that we get of the life of folks in black America in this movie are just like kind of side shots? There's no actual discussion of like the role of these all black regiments in the war or did it mean anything spe special for Joe being a black pilot? We didn't get any of that kind of discussion or even like acknowledgement. There's not even any racism acknowledgement in the film. Like yeah. you don't see in their fleeing to the north, they don't encounter any white people. They don't act afraid for any reason. They're not relegated to new back doors. Um, it oddly pretends as if none of that was a thing. Mm. Also, doesn't even reference a, or it references the war, but it doesn't really kind of say which war, there's nothing that um really indicates the time period properly i think that was one of the trivia facts that i saw for this movie is like everything set is like it's all 1950 stuff but it's supposed to be a 1940s movie yeah all that is sort of interesting because in, thinking about the fact that this was an adaptation it sort of feels like they really just transposed everyone they didn't really adapt it necessarily they just took everything that happened in the the play and we're like and we'll just add black people to it and it, it doesn't really feel like they changed or adapted the story and granted i don't know the original story but the way you're you all are sort of talking about it makes me feel like maybe they didn't really like try to make this about black people in america at the time they were like well we just want to make this with an all-black cast which i think is interesting and, and one thing i'll say it's sort of the defense of this movie, especially the fact that it was made in the mid 50s, is it does show that black people can be all types. 
you know, I, I, I imagine at this time it was and even to this day, in some cases, it's very common to have black people be typecast as like a specific kind of character. So you don't you may not necessarily see black heroes or black villains in, in sort of the same sort of way. And so I liked that because the whole cast was black. They're like, look, there's a lot of depth to, to black people. We don't need to necessarily pigeonhole them into a certain type of character. With that said, I agree that it does not speak to the black experience at all. And really any time, like I wouldn't say that any time in American history would these sort of dynamics exist in black America. But I just I just think it's interesting the the fact that they made it at all um, and they chose to sort of do it this way. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's also true of the music, too. Like one of the things I think is really, again, a good defense of this movie is that especially in the 1950s, given how highbrow and classical opera has always been considered to be, at least in like modern times, versus black music which at that point was considered race music and wasn't considered as high class for instance having a movie where you have black folks singing opera is really revolutionary and even though it wasn't Dandridge and Belafonte actually singing their own roles they weren't operatic they both have had amazing voices or had amazing voices in Harry's case but they weren't operatic singers so other black singers were pulled in to dub their voices and did a great job that's amazing uh, it gets slightly ruined because I think they go too far in trying to make the lyrics of the songs be very, quote unquote, black um, in a way that's just kind of bordering a little bit on, let's say, inappropriate, if not outright offensive. But it could have been so close. Could have been done really well. Yeah, but I'm really glad this movie got made. If anything, it introduced a lot of people to Dorothy Dandridge and she's incredible and I'm glad that this that this thing kind of exists. I understand why it was preserved, even if it's not necessarily the kind of thing that I think is going to translate as well these days. It did. It it was at least uh, an enjoyable look at, you know, a different era of black actors being able to be on screen and play big roles. I do also love the trivia that so Dorothy Dandridge was the first black woman nominated for Best Actress. She didn't get it. But later, the first person to actually win, the first black woman to win Best Actress, as I recall, is Halle Berry, who did also play Dorothy Dandridge in a biopic about her. Oh. And so I do kind of love that it came full circle in a way. That is cool. Yeah, it's just a pretty fun little, like, extra thing about the movie. So let's start to, like, sort of wrap this up. So we've talked about, I think, most of the pieces of the movie we can talk about. What are your sort of final thoughts, reflections on this film? And let's, let's start with Andre. Because this was obviously his favorite of the series thus far. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. And if had if he had to choose between this and School Days, he would absolutely uh, watch this one. Oh, yeah, that's that goes without saying. Like I said, I just don't like musicals. It's not a bad movie, per se. It also suffers from some of the issues that different uh, stage ab- adaptations can have when coming to the cinema. In that, you know, there's always pieces of the story that always seem to fall by the wayside because typically you have more time when it comes to plays and other theater work so this is a long-winded way of me saying it's not bad it's a good watch for just you know history buffs that just want to see uh older black cinema and important movies to uh black cinema uh, in the in america but it's not something that I would choose to watch 
outside of that context. Ryan, what about you? I, I don't know. I enjoyed a lot of parts of this movie. I probably wouldn't necessarily watch it again outside of like maybe watching just clip shows of a few uh, a few particular parts that were cool. I definitely am grateful for the kind of focus and attention that was able to be shown on these characters on 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 these actors at the time and i I do think it's a a nice little relatively compact history lesson as a way for people to see some of the origins of relatively big budget black cinema of this being a relatively early way to way of having like all black cast uh, for something that you know had had real investment made a bunch of money actually got a bunch of awards and recognition. And it feels like it took a really long time for that to kind of come forth. You know, we look at all the films before and, you know, a lot of these performers were active on what was called the Chitlin circuit. Like they were, you know, they were going from like town to town, barnstorming and living off of their talent, you know, from town to town. So it's kind of awesome to see this as an inflection point in their careers where they start to uh, start to really shine. I, I also think that, you know, Harry Belafonte is a national treasure so getting a chance to you know show people more of his uh, repertoire is always good. And while I will continue to like ignore a good chunk of the 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 characters like Husky Miller and some of the songs that were really bad, I think that I'll probably just think fondly back on the movie when I look at some of the some of the stills and clips. And that's probably good enough for something that was like maybe an hour and a half of time. So, you know, I, I feel like pretty neutral to good about it. James, what about you? I think I ended up leaving this movie pretty neutral. This might be what I would consider like a Wikipedia movie, where I think it's there's a lot of really, really, really interesting things about it. But it is not a movie that I would normally watch. Uh, one, because of its age. Two, because it's a musical. And three, I don't think it's a movie or not three, but I don't think it's a movie I would necessarily watch again. But I'm really, really glad we picked it. Like, I'm glad that I did watch it. I I think it's worth experiencing a lot of this older art to sort of know where we came from historically, to see sort of what was possible when people took a chance uh, on black people at a time when taking chances on black people were not common. So, like, I'm, I'm really glad we did it. But it's just... I don't really have a lot of strong feelings about the movie itself. It's not like school days where I walked out of that movie and I was like, curse you, Ryan, for making me watch this. And it's not like some of the other movies where I was like, I didn't really know I would like this kind of movie, but I really dug it. It's just like, yeah, like this was a time that I spent that like wasn't bad. And and it was very interesting to sort of learn more about it and and talk about it. But that's that's really all I I felt about it. And I know I think that's, that's basically it for this episode of Black Movie Podcast. What we reviewed today was Carmen Jones, the okayest black movie based on a musical, based on an opera, based on a book that you'll see this year. So if you're interested, check it out. You can get it on Amazon Prime. And we'll see how uh, middle of the road you feel about it, even the way the rest of us have. So the next movie we're going to review for the next episode, just to get you excited, is going to be Mom Rainey's Black Bottom. So you can join us next time for that review on the Black Movie Podcast. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you for listening to the Black Movie Podcast. Our show is edited by Mike Knight. Our theme song is by Chris Negro Justice Brown. And our logo was created by Savannah Alexander.
degrees evidence is empirically laid out in front for you to see i found the trinity good people we the memories these are the only things i need